Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm... Okay, everyone. You remember back a long, long time ago, could have been 50 episodes ago, could have been 100. I mean, we've we've done a lot of hours on this. Uh, but do you remember back when I said, and I'm what happens when you take Matt Damon and throw him in a dryer? All right, now that everyone's caught up, I got out of the dryer. I mean, I'm... <laughs> YOLO, I'm Britain. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think just by all of that, I I think people can can gauge pretty well what kind of mood we're all in right now. I also now Alex, I do want to clarify. So this whole time you've been in a dryer. (laughs) Yeah, I've been in a dryer. Inside a crocodile sub okay. right next to the Titanic. Wow, you were in God's dryer. I see. <laughs> Aren't we all though? Aren't we I all? Mean, we're all we're all just we're all just unmatched socks in the dryer of God. There, there's a there's a global warming joke in there somewhere, right? So, oh yeah, I think that's the that's the setting it's on. <laughs> oh god. The earth is on fluff. Uh well, we're talking about Ocean's Eleven, um, so transitions. Who needs Obviously, them? yeah. Ocean. It was there. There's a connection. Titanic. It's fine. Go ahead, Alex. Tell us things. <laughs> well, I think first we should go ahead and state we're not doing the Frank Sinatra Ocean's Eleven movie, right? Um, number one, because it's just so far removed from the rest of the series, which has a continuity. Um, And then number two, apparently it's really bad and boring. So we made an an executive decision, all three of us, to to veto that one. So we're starting here. Uh, If you don't like it, uh, go watch the Sinatra version yourself and have fun, I I guess. (laughs) Ocean's Eleven from 2001, directed by Steven Soderbergh, has... An 83% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and an 80% audience score. Hmm. Pretty solid. Yeah. yeah. Who would like to start? Uh, I can go. Do it. Sure. All right. So uh, I haven't seen any of the Oceans movies. This is my first time uh, watching them. And full disclosure, I'm... I'm not like a big heist movie guy, just in general. Um, it's kind of like with spy movies. It's just not something that I naturally gravitate to. And the ones I like, I tend to like more for the filmmaking stuff than mm-hmm. the actual like thing. So I'm going to say my best thing about it was how smart and accessible I felt like it was. Um, Soderbergh was... I mean, he kind of does whatever, but right. I think up until this point, he was primarily uh, like an indie director. I mean, this is he, he won an Oscar like the year before this came out for Traffic, I think. Mm. Yep. Yeah, and so he had been making these like indie movies and art movies, and I, I, I'm going to guess this was his first foray or one of his first forays into like major Hollywood studio movie making. But I like that they clearly didn't stop him from making a smart movie. And I like that the movie doesn't talk down to the audience, it, but it's very followable, um, which is something that, be, as, so, as someone who often gets confused or lost in movies like this, 
I never felt that way. I, I couldn't recount the plot now, but I totally understood what was going on as I saw it. And that may seem more about me, but I appreciated that a movie aimed at, you know, the widest swath of an audience could be totally followable, but not feel dumbed down, uh, which, which I uh, appreciated. It kind of made me think about uh, Spike Lee's Inside Man, where it was interesting. And I, I'm pre, prior to this, I had only seen two Soderbergh movies, which were Logan Lucky and Haywire. So sure. I wouldn't say I'm that intimately familiar <clears throat> with his work, um, his oeuvre. But like with Inside Man, which I think is, is a really well done movie, that was another case of this guy who makes his own movies on his own terms and then came, came to Hollywood and they let him actually do his thing. And Inside Man turned out really well. Um, Alex, specifically, if you haven't seen Inside Man, I think you would get a kick out of it. Um, uh, a lot of really good stuff in there. And <clears throat> and, and so, yeah, I, I, basically what I mean is I like that it I didn't feel talked down to, but I also felt I, I didn't feel like uh, uh, insulted. I don't know. It, it, I, I think they, they nailed that. As far as the worst thing, there wasn't like a glaring issue that I really had with the movie. But I, I will say that I, I kind of wanted more of like a funny George Clooney. And he is he, he is funny in the movie. He's great at being debonair and suave in this, as he always is. But, you know, you think about watching him in, like, Up in the Air or... Uh, Batman and Robin. Oh, Bat- <laughs> Robin. You beat me to it! <laughs> um, but Clooney can be such a funny yeah. actor. And I don't mean, like... He, I don't want the script to make him goofy or silly or anything, but most of what he does in this is wear great suits and look really suave. And that's great. And maybe, maybe this will develop in the future movies. But like, I wanted to, I, I wanted more opportunities to see that side of him. Um, but that was really the only thing that, you know, and even it didn't bother me. But that was the only thing that I'm like, oh, I wish they had done that differently. So, those are mine. Tyler, mm, uh, am I allowed to say my best thing is the cast? <laughs> Yes, because yes, that's uh, <laughs> best, my best thing, which is like, it feels like a very obvious thing for this film, but it really is great to see all these various personalities working together. Um, I mean, the fact that, like, I remember watching this movie for the first time, because actually Alex had had me watch all of them, like we'd see them all together a few years ago, um, and marathoning for Ocean's 8, actually, which we will get to. Mm. Um, and... Like, starting off the movie, it's like, okay, you've got George Clooney, you've got Brad Pitt. That's already... You're already stacked. Like, you know, we've already got two, like, mega stars in this. And then Matt Damon shows up. And, like, I think at the time, this would have been like, oh, it's the guy from uh, Good Will Hunting and everything. Because Good Will Hunting was late 90s, right? Before I say something wrong. Yeah. yeah, Um, And so it's like... Oh, you know, it's the, he's been in some stuff. Cool. You know, yeah, Matt Damon. I like him. Um, but but watching it now, you're like, what? <laughs> you got all three of these guys <laughs> together in one film? Um, and obviously, you know, you've got uh, Don Cheadle and you've got uh, other people, <laughs> whose, actors whose names I cannot remember. Scott Kahn. Sure. Um, but there, there's just a lot of... And they're not even necessarily guys that I recognized from other stuff. Um there is actor whose name I don't know who we have joked multiple times in various group messages that he looks like Timothy Chalamet. Oh, um, Casey Affleck. 
Oh yeah, Casey Affleck. Okay, I did not realize that was Casey Affleck, and I've seen and him Frankie Muniz. Sure, <laughs> there's a little Muniz in there. <laughs> um, I can't believe I didn't re- realize that. That's funny that he's yeah. in that, but not not Ben Affleck. Yeah. Huh. I don't know what Ben was doing in 2001. Gonna... <laughs> when Alex, when was Daredevil? 2003. Oh, Maybe he so. was training. <laughs> that was a four-year prep. He was just walking around his house with his eyes closed. <laughs> like, I'm in it. I'm so in it. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, there's, uh, I think, a lot of great, just, like, fun, small performances in this that mm-hmm. come together to create something really great. Um, Julie Roberts is also fun. Uh, yep. Just bouncing off George Clooney and, and being mad at George Clooney. Uh, and Brad Pitt, it's a good time. I, I think everyone in this movie feels like they're having a good time, and it, it comes across, yeah. and it's it's kind of a, um, <clears throat> contagious that they're, you know, just enjoying this of it all <laughs> is uh, yeah. is also going to kind of rub off on the audience. Um, so yeah. In terms of worst thing, I don't know that I have a whole lot. This is this is one of those movies, kind of like uh, Raiders. Um, mm. or I don't know, like Jurassic Park, even to me where I know that's, I know that's probably like, oh, well, that's high praise. And that's not real. I'm not saying it's necessarily as good as those movies, but I am saying it's a movie that I think takes the concept and what it's trying to execute and just nails it. And it's just like, sure. we did it. You know, it's, it may not be the biggest scope ever. It may not have like the most emotional stakes or anything like that, but it just is like, we're, we're drilling what we came here to do. Um, I really thought you were going to say your worst thing was that Topher Grace was in the movie and you got reminded of Spider-Man uh, 3. I don't blame Topher Grace for that. It's it's fine. But the fact that he's literally playing himself. It's pretty... It's, <laughs> that seems pretty indeed. fun. Yeah. Um, I, like, I like that Topher. Along with Shane West and... Uh, I know one of the other guys is from some soap opera or something, but sure. I know him as Charlie uh, from the Mighty Ducks trilogy. He's from Dawson's oh, Creek. Oh, boy. Joshua Jackson. Yes. <laughs> and Barry something from Seventh Heaven and Holly Marie Combs from Charmed. <laughs> it's about witches? Witches. Yeah. It's about witches. Probably. Witches. Vitches. <laughs> um... <laughs> It would have been great if it was a bunch of teen idols and also Ralph Innocen from the Vivitch. <laughs> Dagmar Cleft jaw hanging out learning how to play poker. Um, like two-year-old I, Anya Taylor-Joy is just hanging out there. <laughs> <laughs> I might I might have to put a pit in that. I don't know that I have the worst thing. I might I might pass the baton off and then if, if something comes up later, I'll I'll sure. uh, reserve my my right to uh, stick that back in. But Sure. Um, in terms of the best thing, I think I'm just going to go for overall style mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, kind of Britain going along with what you said. I love that this movie has so much personality, yeah. yet is able to be so accessible. Yeah. Like that combination, you, you just don't see that all that much. Like there are parts of the movie that almost feel like they're shot like an independent film. Sure. Like all of the scenes where they're in the, uh, Andy Garcia and Julia Roberts are sitting with the crowd in the boxing match. It feels like something out of a documentary almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really, really, really appreciate all that. And I don't know, just like there's so much clever dialogue and, you know, it's, it's not, 
the plot's not like a work of art or anything, but to Tyler's point, it's like, no, they just want to be like a really smart, fun heist film. And it does that in fl- with flying colors. Um, this almost, I, I think I may have made this kind of complaint about other movies before, but I feel like this sets the bar so high for things like in the heist genre mm-hmm. that when I think something else is going to be in the vein of this, and it ends up not doing that, I get very, very disappointed. Mm. Like, that's that's kind of my reaction to Rogue One. Sure. <laughs> Where I'm like, oh, it's going to be a heist movie. They're stealing the Death Star. Oh, they're, it, they're, it's just shootouts, the whole whole movie. Which, I, that movie's fine, mm. but I was expecting something more in line with this. Um, so that's happened to me a couple times. So props to this movie for raising the bar that high. Um, hard for me to determine a worse thing as well. Um I would say overall probably just there's a weird section of the movie where they're they're uh, repelling down to get to the vault. It's like George Clooney and Matt Damon. And correct me if I'm wrong, there are lasers there, right? Like actual like trip I think lasers so. or something Maybe. in the elevator or in the vault in in, in the shaft, like uh, as they're repelling down. I don't know actually. I don't remember. <laughs> for, for some reason, I felt like that section of the movie, it got, like, a little too fantastical. Um, where the rest of the movie, despite being, like, stylized and, and you know, tongue-in-cheek and, and just kind of funny, um, that part just seemed to take me out a little bit. And I think it might be because I know they, in the next movie in particular, they kind of push that to the extreme. And I mm. don't really like that in the next movie either. So I'm starting to see the seeds of it here. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's not really that much of a complaint. It's more just like, I'm trying to come up with something. Sure. Um, but yeah, the, the movie's great. <laughs> what, um, yeah, yeah. I, what, what did you think of Logan Lucky? Cause I think that was very much him coming, kind of coming back to the heist. Yeah. Genre. No, I, I really like Logan Lucky. Yeah. Quite a bit as well. Yeah. Adam Driver's really funny in that. I have not seen yeah. that film. It's fun. Daniel Craig and Daniel uh, Daniel Craig and Adam Driver are in a movie together. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Well, that's I, and <laughs> Riley Keough is really good in that too. And Channing Tatum is also the main character. Mm. <laughs> Would you like to He's fine. read He's any fine. war cast member? No, okay. um, <clears throat> I was going to say, going off like a Rogue One comparison, I think it's really in this movie's favor that it's supposed to be a heist movie. Because um, mm-hmm. I think that's a thing where you it, you don't see a lot of dedicated, like, the movie is about a heist. Um, yeah. Aside from this series, you don't see a lot of that in other films. Uh, I, I guess maybe, like, The Italian Job, a movie I have seen, like, 45 minutes of, maybe. Um, sure. So I couldn't tell you what that's about. Um, it's fine. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like they're... I guess maybe you could call, like, Inception a heist movie. I think to to an extent that works on in the genre, but a lot of movies like Rogue One or like Ant Man or even um, I think you could argue like Fast Five to some extent. Oh sure. Um, they're they're really like an action movie or a superhero movie or a you know a, a fantasy movie or whatever. It's set with a heist flavoring spin. Yeah. Or there's like a heist scene. Yeah, basically it's like the the yeah. movie happens and then somewhere along the way a heist happens that is not the focus of the movie. Um, or at least maybe it should be the focus of the movie, but it's not really. Uh, mm. And so I, I think it's really nice to watch 
this be so perfectly executed. And it, it does probably set the bar too high. That's probably why there's not as many, like, attempts to step into this uh, game, I guess, the heist game, uh, in terms of just, hey, we want to, to do a movie that's just a really cool heist. Um, I don't know, maybe like The yep. Big Short? <laughs> um, yeah, there's a, a, a French movie from, like, the 50s or something called Rafifi, and I think that's a heist movie that's supposed to be just, you know, like, amazing. But I've never seen it. And I was going to try to watch it uh, along with this, but I, I don't think it's, like, immediately streaming on gotcha. something that I have. But, and, you but know, like like Bone Tomahawk, you know, another well-known heist movie. <laughs> you know, really, many things are a heist movie. You've got mail. They're heisting each other's hearts. <laughs> the Green Mile. Every romantic comedy is a heist movie. <laughs> yeah, Green Mile, they're trying to heist his soul, I think? <laughs> in, in Shawshank Redemption... You know, uh, yeah, what, heist, it, yeah. yeah, they're really trying it, to heist. No, their no, no. In, in Shawshank Redemption, it was a, it was a successful heist. They stole that movie's Oscar nominations. <laughs> <laughs> Passed them over to what year was that? Ninety five Pulp Fiction. I don't know. Sure. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of surprised Tarantino hasn't done a full on heist movie. Yeah. Was, Reservoir Dogs. Well, is that, what's Reservoir Dogs? Re- Reservoir Dogs is a heist movie. The thing with Tarantino is he doesn't seem to be actually interested in the heist itself. Right. Like, right. Yeah. It doesn't actually show that in the movie. Yeah. Um, it's more just about the aftermath. Yeah. Well, because that was something I noticed in Ocean's Eleven that the actual heist starts like only a little past halfway through the movie, mm-hmm. and I realized when I was watching, I was like. Oh, we're at the heist really soon, but we still got a good ways to go. And I was like, "Oh, they're actually like dedicated to showing us the heist. Like that's yeah, that literally this is we set it up for half of the movie and we do that we do the heist for yeah. half of the movie." I was like, "Oh, Which that's is- good, and we're actually going to like watch this all play out." And I kind of liked that the the character introductions were like they're doing that. They, mm-hmm. they do a whole setup with like here's who George Clooney is, and he's going to get Brad Pitt, and this is Matt Damon. But everybody else is kind of like you're in the you're you're here now yeah. you're an acrobat but now you're with us yeah, we we have one <laughs> right. scene showing why you are here and yeah. that's all we need um, and they did a little more for like Carl Reiner who I really enjoyed uh, in this or quite enjoyed and like Bernie Mac and and, mm. and whatnot but um and, and you know what I loved even more they didn't have stupid freeze frames to show their names and stats <laughs> I was gonna say true. in a way in is Suicide Squad a heist movie they're they're heisting uh, Blue Laser yeah, Wish Davis. Lady. It should be a heist movie. They're they're heisting Kara Dote. Is that is that who that is? Kara Dote. Look, they heist they heisted Tyler's money because he went to go and he paid for to see it. (laughs) That's Britain and I got an advanced screening. We didn't have to pay a dime for Suicide (laughs) Squad, which means uh, Justice League 2017 is a better heist movie because they got my money twice. Um, in many ways Suicide Squad is the most successful heist movie because all I got out of that was a lifelong friendship with Alex I think we told that story on the podcast before that we saw that movie and it was like 2 in the morning when we were done and then we just stood in the parking lot and complained for an hour the real heist oh it was more than an hour the real heist was the friend but lo and behold look at this Uh, I have a dear friend whom I love very much and so I'm obviously quite grateful to Suicide Squad (laughs) and David Ayer uh, anyway, um, look, you don't uh, see a Marvel movie bringing friendships together like <laughs> thank that. <okay>? You. <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So, the point that we were going to make that I have right. derailed horribly um, 
I really like the fact that this movie immediately gets underway with the heist. Like, yeah. not like you're talking about Britain that we start the heist about halfway through, but yeah, pretty much immediately we set we take maybe, I mean, really we take uh, five or ten minutes to have George Clooney like, okay, he's getting out of jail. It's meeting up with Brad Pitt. They're they're planning up and, and getting up to something. And pretty much, like, within four scenes, we are already at the point of, okay, here's the vault. Here's what we're going to try and do. Here's the goal. Here's who owns this vault. Who are we going to get to to put together this vault uh, heist thing? Like, it's just the moment the movie begins, basically, there is a a direct focus on what's going to be the rest of the movie. Um, And that sets up something really interesting where it's it's just a very... uh, tight script i guess like it 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 doesn't waste time exactly yeah yeah. very efficient it's under two hours Mm -hmm. like i feel like if somebody tried to to make this movie today oh forget because you can't make this movie today (laughs) i feel like it would be like two and a half hours two hours and 45 minutes and Mm -hmm. it'd be like no 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 you can cut an hour out of that (laughs) yeah i don't need i don't need a, a 15 minute sequence of of Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn just pushing each other. I will say, uh, just because I wanted to be contrarian, I looked up Ocean's 8, and it's an hour and 51. Get on yet. Oh, nice. That's good. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I like how the, the movie structure and the way that it's styled, it, it, it matches what our characters are trying to do. Like, it's very direct. It's very <laughs> yeah. methodical. Um, and I, I really just appreciate that the movie, like, Britain, once again, to your point, like, it's very stylized. But it's also like it's not being around the bush. It's not talking down to anyone. But at the same time, it's not wasting anyone's time. Like it, it, it rides that line perfectly. And I don't know how. I don't know if it's rarer now, or if it has always been this way. But it feels like I guess like since independent movies became kind of their own like echelon, it feels rarer to me that a director like a Steven Soderbergh or a Spike Lee, when they get a big studio project, the studio just lets clearly lets them do the thing they wanted, or, or lets it kind of do it in their style. Because I feel like when that happens, the movies work out pretty well. Like, the Ocean's movies are very popular, and Inside Man was a big hit, and Black Panther, uh, to use a more recent example with Coogler. And I understand, like, with the MCU, you have a, a, a different stakes and different, you know, stylistic things you all have to kind of marry under, but... I, I feel like these days you almost have this, like, there are the Hollywood studio directors and there's the indie a- a- auteur directors. And if the auteur director does a Hollywood movie, all of their talent's going to get sapped. That's not always true. Mm. Um, I would say that Little Women was a, a much higher budget situation than sure. Lady Bird, and it's beautiful. Um, well, I think I think it really just depends on the level of budget we're talking about. Yeah, because sure. so, so many of these cases are like... Oh, Colin Trevorrow, yeah. you're going to be taking on a $200 million Jurassic Park sequel. Right. Whereas this, it's like, it, I, I would guess that this movie is, is a fairly mid-budget movie, sure. aside from the cast, of course. Right. right. Um, Who I think all took, like, pay cuts so that the movie could stay under budget anyway. Well, there you go. Yeah. And, and I feel like, not just that, but also, 85 like... 85 million. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Not too bad. Like... You, you don't see this happen where most remakes or whatever are, are like, it, it's a known property. It's something really popular that yeah. people remember. 
Um, we've got that that kind of thirty year nostalgia wave mm-hmm. that that keeps cycling through. Um, whereas with this, it's just like, oh, it's an old Rat Pack movie that's not fondly remembered. Like taking this is the ideal remake situation where you have a movie that is apparently not very good, but there's a lot of material you can mine and make something good. Yeah. As opposed to, I don't know, just do Beauty and the Beast again, but (laughs) live action? I think the big key in terms of the, like, indie director leveling up thing is the the franchise element. Like, I feel like that's... I mean, even Beauty and the Beast, I mean, that's not... That is a one-off, but that is very much... Disney has this stable of properties that they want to cash in on with their live action films, because they've got... Beauty and the Beast and Lion King and Jungle Book and Cinderella or whatever. Like, they've got these ones that they made these movies that were popular and they want to, like, make sure that these are inoffensive, uh, enjoyable films that make you pay for them because you remember the nostalgia. Um, Those are, like, very cynical. But even, again, like the MCU or the DCU um, or even, like, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, I guess, um, those are very much, like... We want to have the same tone. We want to be able to control this. And I think that's where independent directors run into a lot of trouble is, is when, or even even a Josh Trank, um, sure. where you, you bring someone on and you're like, hey, we need you to do this in a way that is like very uh, consistent with our expectations. Like you can't mm-hmm. go too far out of the box because we expect this to make five sequels. Um, uh, Beauty and the Beast, the 2017 version, also cost... Somewhere between two hundred and fifty and three hundred million dollars. Sure. Yes. Which yes. doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me, but Wow. I don't know. That's yeah, it, that's almost it, as expensive it, as the final cost of the Snyder cut. Look, I, it, it's also directed by the guy who did the last two Twilight movies, so Sure. That's true. Yeah, it's He it's, also it's, did Chicago, so yeah, sure. and uh, Gods and Monsters. Um And Gods and Monsters. Yeah. I I, I don't I think it's also just about letting them not just turn out a product, but whoever whoever was doing this, and maybe Soderbergh was the one who came to a studio and said, "Hey, I want to remake this. Let me do it." Um, but and maybe that was he what he used his his Oscar, uh, sure. his Aaron his Aaron Brockovich uh, cachet for. But um, is that the right word? Whatever. But I think that it was just nice to see that they he he got to make it with some some style but in a way that didn't because i mean obviously if okay not that i don't actually want to see this but like if robert eggers suddenly made like uh the next jurassic park movie jurassic world movie (laughs) they would not let him do it the way he would want to do it even though that's now the only thing that i want (laughs) that would be amazing agreed just a velociraptor (laughs) like staring into a teacup for an hour reciting poetry (laughs) Um, while you're just like slowly sapped of all uh, joy, um, <laughs> in a good way, but I, you're gonna I don't know. suffer, but you're gonna be happy about it. And at the end, you're like, oh, it was about the Bolsheviks. Gotcha. Okay, <laughs> that old chestnut. <laughs> I see what you're doing, Eggers. Uh, I like him. Seems like a nice guy. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, wow. I think that's a fair point. And like. If they let Robert Eggers direct a remake of, or if Robert Eggers had, Eggers had a passion project for a remake of, like, yeah, 
I don't know. What, what's like a semi-popular like '60s film? Like a uh, like if he did, but, uh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, Butch and Sundance. Yeah, sure. There we go. <laughs> that would be one where it's like that's probably not quite his tone, but like no, yeah, something sure. like that where you know no one's really expecting this to be a thing that exists in the first place, and they're all kind of like, okay, where, where are you going with this? He probably put a very specific spin on it. Yeah. The Coen brothers doing True Grit. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Also, I did want to point out, Soderbergh had, like, he had a Spielberg year, where Spielberg did, like, he did Schindler's List and then and Jurassic Park, Park right yeah. together. He did Traffic and Aaron Brockovich, and both came out in 2000, and then Ocean's Eleven in 2001. So, yeah, he was. There you go. I don't. He might be the only director. He was. He was two of the directing nominees in 2000. Hmm. He was nominated for Traffic and Aaron Brockovich, and won for Traffic. Um, I have not seen either of those films. Apparently, they are quite good. <laughs> uh, they both won performance Oscars. Um, one of which is Julia Roberts, who is in this movie. Does Julia Roberts have a larger presence in the next couple movies? She is only in the next one, and yes, she does. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Because I, you know, I, I like Julia Roberts. I haven't probably seen as I mean, I've seen Pretty Woman, and she is great in that. But I was kind of surprised that she wasn't in it more. I think she's she's good when she's in it, but um, I wondered if it was something where it was like, oh, well, you just directed me to an Oscar, Steven Soderbergh. Sure, I'll pop into your movie. <laughs> you know, give you another name above the title. Right. I did want to ask how we felt about kind of how, how she's treated in the movie and kind of the, the turn that happens at the end where she leaves Andy Garcia. I feel like that was verging on just treating her as a trophy. Sure. Um, I feel like she's given enough personality, and I, I like that first scene with her and George Clooney where she's really tearing him down. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I feel like the turn at the end is a little too easy. Yeah, it's... Maybe that's my worst thing. I don't know. And I think it also is worth pointing out, she's the only woman in the movie, right? Right. Well, I think there's... There's a couple of side characters, because I know they, um... Isn't there, like, a guard they steal a key card from or something, and they have, uh... Brad Pitt knows some some strippers. (laughs) Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, 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 Not exactly, uh... (laughs) There's there's that line where, uh... Point here. Right. How, how's your mom doing? Oh, she's good. She's on stage in fifteen. Yeah. And yeah. Brad Pitt just like hesitates before hanging up the phone. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of that was pretty funny. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I think it, it it is. Yeah, she she does just kind of feel like like a trophy, like you said. And I, yeah, because it's funny. One one of the things that I I liked about the movie was how this is a movie about a bunch of men who want to be rich. But it's not as gross as it could so easily have been. I yeah. feel like there are a lot of movies when there's like, oh, men want to be rich. And their idea of wealth is just women in bikinis and alcohol and drugs. And it's just this really debaucherous kind of lifestyle. Um, and I think, you know, you think of Entourage. Um, and to a, to a much, much, much lesser degree, even the Fast and Furious movies. But I think this is like, we just want to wear really fancy suits and drive nice cars. Because that's how Also, well... Andy Garcia's a prick. Yeah, and Andy Garcia is like, yeah, not super likable. <laughs> um, but they also, he, he's, they, they don't turn him into 
someone who you're just like, oh, I can't even look at this guy, and he should just right. be thrown mm-hmm. in jail. He's a monster. It's like, no, he's just not as likable as George Clooney. Sure. Which is, right. I think, why that turn at the end, it, it on the one hand makes it a, well, I never understood why Julia Roberts was with him, because you don't really get anything about Andy Garcia, except yeah. he's kind of curt with the staff. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, because that is something that, in terms of character, that that relationship between him and Julia Roberts never really makes sense, and then why she leaves him for George Clooney doesn't really make sense. But since you're kind of awash in the whole production of the movie, it doesn't really occur. To, it didn't really occur to me until later that I was like, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> that didn't really. There was a lot of like foundation for that. I guess the idea is that you know she realizes that Andy Garcia's character would like actively give her yeah. up if. If the opportunity called for it, and, and specifically that that George Clooney's character would never do that, right? Sure. Because the whole movie he's actively trying to get her back. Right. I don't know. I, it's 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 a little flimsy. Um, also, and yeah, I, he's I, I think if they, <laughs> sure, yeah, Andy Garcia, Godfather Three, come on, <laughs> he is the best part of that movie. I, so I've heard. <laughs> I remember nothing about that movie, and we reviewed it on this podcast. Um, I remember everything about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one cursed with knowledge. <laughs> um, I I just turn around and I stare at a poster of Godfather Three. My only curse is you. <laughs> uh, what did What did y'all think of the big the big twist on how they get away with it? Because spoilers, both for the big twist and for my opinion, I loved it. Uh, yeah. I, specifically, I'm talking about the basically the whole thing is that they they hack Andy Garcia's uh, feed, security feed, and his phone line to make him uh, believe that he is basically being robbed at that moment. But actually, they're feeding in tape of a alternate vault. Isn't there an alternate vault in Fast Five? Am I making that up? Do they? Do they? Oh have, yeah, they they have a fake vault. They have a fake yep. vault, and, and then they, and dra- that, they drag it around, in and that's the one that they drag. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, because they go, well, they go go through an underpass or, or, or yeah, something, and, yeah. they, and they drop one off, mm-hmm. and they grab another one. Yeah, that is right. like yeah, that was awesome. Homage verging, verging on uh, plagiarism <laughs> in hindsight, uh, but yeah, basically they have this vault that you know they see it earlier in the movie where it's just like ah, they're trying to set up a fake vault so they can get an idea of how to maneuver in this, and you never really suspect yeah. that the reason they were creating it is so they can literally film something to to stick in there. And so they're filming them putting all the money in the bags and everything. And then uh, Andy Garcia calls in or calls the police, but they actually call in themselves and it's their, them as the yeah. SWAT team and they go in and they get all the bags uh, in their own stuff or all the money in their own bags, I should say. Um, and, and leave and no one is the wiser. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's a great reveal. I remember watching the movie at first and being like, how is this like genuinely at the end being, how are they going to pull this off? What's the, <laughs> what's the idea here? Um, and I think it's, it's a really smart, fun. Uh, I, I love me a good, oh, now we have to explain to you how it happened uh, at sure. the end of a movie yeah. in a way that feels like you're being rewarded for paying attention and that you're, you're picking up on right. like, oh, that's why they did that. Uh, and this one, I think, has that in spades. I think it's a it's a great uh, payoff, uh, a, a prestige, if you will. The movie has a really good sleight of hand in terms of knowing when to feed 
information mm-hmm. to the audience because they they do show fairly early on that they build that fake version of the vault so we can have our our Chinese acrobat you know test doing the flip yeah. out of the little box but then like we, it, it, we leave it alone long enough for us to forget that they built a fake vault yeah so that when we get the reveal of oh they faked the footage oh that's great mm-hmm. um i did think of something else going along with what my original worst thing was um how did you guys feel about the pinch as a plot device they find mm. they they steal an experimental emp device sure. <laughs> to knock out power in the casino i think so i think i don't have a problem with it because uh a it's fun to watch all of las vegas shut down like that's a a cool set piece sequence image thing um but b they establish early on how they're going to shut down everything um by having don Cheadle get into the the sewers and mess with the electrical box and stuff um and then they accident they have that little plot point where the guys accidentally trip their own security fall flaw the the guys working for the casino do and then they figure out how to fix it so for me if i'm thinking from a perspective of how much is that uh, breaking my, I guess, how much is that making it feel like the the movie is relying on that crutch of the EMP? It almost feels like the movie is saying, screw you, we're doing this because we want to, not because we have to rely on it, because they had another way of them shutting it down, right. and they said, we're not doing that. We're bringing a big old flashy <laughs> green thing that's going to go off and, and shut down Las Vegas. Um, and it does also create the se- the fun sequence of them actually robbing mm-hmm. right the the uh the college to get the device right. <laughs> I love Matt Damon just losing his mind <laughs> stuck in the van while Casey Affleck and Scott Connor just annoying each other <laughs> it's great uh, A- any scene with with Casey Affleck and Scott Connor like they don't overstay their welcome every time they show up and they have their their bickering it's always fun yeah mm-hmm. um yeah, and, and and Matt Damon like triggers all the guards chasing him, and he like just like jumps out of a window or something to yeah. get away. Uh, baby Matt Damon. Um, apparently, that part was intended for Mark Wahlberg, but he turned it down to star in Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. What yep. a good choice! Saw the writing. We may review it someday. We just might. Um, I I had an interesting with, with Don Cheadle. I. His accent wasn't terrible, but I also wasn't crazy about it. I think part of that is because I think he was written by by like Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins or something like. <laughs> yeah, the, he everything he says is like some Brit is like oh, he's over Britishing. <laughs> you know, right. he's like, "You crazy Sheila, I was in the lorry." Neither of those are things, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying. It, it, it I, just, I almost. I almost wish they had a gag at the end where it's revealed he's been faking that right. the whole time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because it, it was all a little too broad for me. Yeah. I don't know. I, I thought it was... Sure. Give, given how kind of goofy the rest of the movie is, I thought sure. that worked just fine. It it feels purposefully silly. So I, yeah. I, I that's why it never really sets me off. Yeah. Um. I liked Carl Reiner quite a bit. I, I, he's, he, he was a very, very funny, talented gentleman. Um, oh, uh, yeah. I, I really enjoy Carl Reiner in this. Yeah. 
and and Bernie Mac was also. Uh, uh, I, I like the bit where Bernie Mac is. He and uh, Matt Damon are having the fake interrogation, and Matt Damon like. "Quote unquote," accidentally calls as colored, and Bernie Mac just like leaps at him, and then he—that's what Matt Damon uses to to slip. Yeah, uh, Garcia's like key card out or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was very good. What, what, what is it, Matt Damon? He starts. He starts. Uh, like monologuing to Andy Garcia. I just. I just want you to know that that you know at my place of work we would never and never say words like that or discriminate <laughs> in any way whatsoever. <laughs> uh, it's all great. I like, it's Matt, just really I like Matt Damon's clever uh, moments. Yeah, I like Matt Damon's disguise because I'm pretty sure that was his concept art for the informant, <laughs> the movie <laughs> to come out ten years later. Not to be confused with yeah. the accountant starring Ben Affleck, <laughs> probably. Yes, honestly, actually, absolutely, and Anna Kendrick. Um, there was also apparently Brad Pitt's very funny wig that he wears at one point was. Uh, Mike Myers rehearsal wig for mm-hmm. Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Which I think is quite good. Um, I liked Brad Pitt in this. Um, Brad, Brad Pitt is somebody who I think only in the last, I'm going to say 10 years, has really gotten to come into his own as an actor. And he started yeah. appearing in more movies that require him to act. Like, I love him in The Tree of Life. I think he's so great. I, I recently, re- or last week, I recommended Ad Astra, and he's brilliant mm-hmm. in that, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and, you know, he's he, he has been doing a lot of really brilliant work recently. Um, but I thought he was fun in this, as the, like... I, 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 he walked a nice line between being kind of comic relief, but also, like, the logician, or l- l- logistician, or whatever, mm-hmm. in the in the group, that he was like, George... No, <laughs> like you're you're not. No, your you, your priorities are are not good. So I'm gonna go over your head about this. Uh, I, I I I I liked him quite a bit. He does a lot of great nonverbal acting. Yes, and yeah. half of that is he's always eating something uh-huh. because apparently he was trying to kick smoking at the time. <laughs> oh really? Um, I, I believe that's the story. But oh wow, even like. The, the bit where um you know he's he, they're sitting at like a bar and he's just like he's he's got his head and his his arms like mm-hmm. watching TV and all you see is his eyes and and Danny Ocean's just like all right that makes ten you think we need one more <laughs> you think we need one more <laughs> like Brad Pitt does I don't even know if he blinks during that bit <laughs> um I and, and I liked uh Shaobo Ken I believe Chen is the acrobat. Um, he, he is an acrobat by trade. He's not an actor. Um, but he was a lot of fun. And honestly, like, that whole flipping sequence, that could have gone on for, like, five more minutes. That was so impressive to me. <laughs> my, my love of, like, watching human athleticism in that sense of, like, flip, just flips. <laughs> I love a good flip. Um, but I, I thought all that was, was very good. Let me see. I, I was looking up who in the original... Like who who played? Obviously, Frank Sinatra was Danny Ocean, but none of the others have the same names. Sure, Joey Bishop played Mushy O'Connors, so <laughs> great movie. Um, I'm assuming Dean Martin was Brad Pitt. Anyway, um, there's something else I was going to say, but I can't remember what it was. So somebody else say something. <laughs> My only thought is that uh, I don't think anybody has benefited more from being directed by Quentin Tarantino than Brad Pitt. Um, oh, sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. He, I think he really is, like, one of the best actors working. 
uh, it's just he doesn't he like he has a lot of stuff maybe not so much like this but I'm thinking like even um, Fight Club where it's kind of like it's not a bad performance uh, but it is very it it colors him with a certain I guess uh, tone and style of acting Um, just because that's a very like dude bro (laughs) movie yeah um, and I feel like that for the longest time, that's just kind of like how people would see him or, you know, Troy or whatever, sure. uh, Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Sure. Uh, and yeah, I feel like he's, he's done a lot of really great stuff, um, recently. Yeah. Well, and he definitely, and Clooney kind of had this as well, but mm-hmm. you know, Brad Pitt was at a time he, he was the, the name you used for a handsome person. Yeah. Like, yeah. a smart guy is Einstein, a handsome guy is Brad Pitt. Like, he was the most gorgeous man. And you watch Meet Joe Black, and you're like, that's very fitting. He's a beautiful man. <laughs> um, but, I, and, and, and I think it was just with Tarantino. And again, he, he got an Oscar nomination in the early 90s for 12 Monkeys, and he's great in that. Um, but I think that it's just been more recently that I'm sure part of it is him being like, I want to do something else. I've made my money. I yeah. want to do more interesting things. And also more directors are willing to give him a chance. Because I, I don't think it's that he just recently got talented. I think right. it's that. Yes. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I, I think it's – obviously he is someone whose personal life has obviously been – inevitably been tied to his career in a lot of ways very publicly. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's just recently he's gotten a lot of chances and he's clearly been doing really well with them. I thought his Oscar was very well-deserved for – for Hollywood, thought it was really uh, he was probably my favorite part of that movie. Um, and Matt Damon is always solid. I just love Matt Damon very, very much, <laughs> and I think he was really fun in this. Um, yeah, I, I just appreciate how all of the characters, even the ones that don't get a whole lot of screen time, are very distinct without mm-hmm. feeling like caricatures. They, yeah. they feel like actual people, and even without having like full on character arcs. Like, I think the only person with a, a semi-character arc is Julia Roberts. <laughs> well, and think about, like, the motivation. The only person with a clear motivation aside from, oh, I want money, is Clooney. Everybody else yeah. is just like, yeah, I'll, I'll do a job. <laughs> like, there's right. no, which I kind of like that they didn't go through. There's not, like, a scene before the heist where they're like, what are you going to do with your share of the winnings? Me? I'm going to get a nice farm. <laughs> Maybe out in Utah somewhere. Really, just leave all this behind. Are you, oh, it's parties, 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 man! <laughs> like it, it was just like they're doing a big heist. That's not the point. Like, just have fun. Are you putting shade on our favorite franchise, um, Fast and Furious? Is that what's happening right now? I feel like it is. Well, I will also say that there's a, a early in the movie when they go to see Elliot Gould and all this chest hair. Um, mm. <laughs> Elliot Gould says something about Dominic, uh, and I thought. What if we did an Ocean's Eleven Fast and Furious crossover, and I thought that would be amazing? <laughs> Danny Ocean. <laughs> Crazy name. I'm Dominic Toretto. <laughs> Looks like you guys got a nice family. Yeah, there's 13 of us. <laughs> a Catholic family. Whoa, hey man, that's not cool. <laughs> and then they fight each other with their fists and punching. Correct. Or like, or really, what would happen is Casey Affleck and Scott Conn would be like, "We like drive cars," and he's like, "That's not a car. This is a car." And then they do a big race. Yeah. Kurt Russell's there. Good times. 
So before we move on to another point about the movie, I would just like to say I did bring up Brad Pitt's filmography, and apparently he's he's going to be starring in a movie called Bullet Train. Um, the movie is cool. directed by David Leach. Okay. Uh, who is the uh, director of, or uh, a co-director on John Wick. Um, and then also directed Atomic Blonde. Oh, he directed Deadpool 2, that's sad. And Hobbs and Shaw. So we, we, we have experienced him before. Yeah. But uh, he's a guy who's good with action. Um, yeah. Brad Pitt is playing somebody named Ladybug. Um, the film also has <laughs> uh, Joey King, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, Zazie Beetz, Masi Oka from Heroes, uh, Michael Shannon, Lady Gaga, and Logan Lerman, among others. Um. Is it a prequel so we can determine uh, how Brad Pitt got invisible before Maybe he so. gets brutally murdered in Deadpool <laughs> 2? Well, so the premise, the premise is that, and I this makes me think that this that David Leach just watched the Wolverine and was like, "Hey, I like that one scene with the the bullet train. What if I just made a movie about it?" Because the premise is five assassins find themselves on a Japanese bullet train, realizing that their individual assignments are not unrelated to the others, and that's the entire thing on Wikipedia. Um, so that's going to be my new favorite movie when that comes out. Uh, yeah, that sounds uh, <laughs> extremely fun. <laughs> I, th- there's too much good going in there for me to uh, be soured by the fact that it's David Leach and I did not particularly like <laughs> Deadpool 2 or Hobbs and Shaw. Can I request that Steven Soderbergh take over directing for that? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> then we're in business. Get Bong Joon-ho. He, he made a train movie. He was great. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, boy. I did want to point out that I, I, I appreciated that we don't have a ton of backstory for a lot of the characters. And even for those that we do, it's not – the movie – once again, the movie is so focused. It doesn't it, – it gives you what you need. Like with Matt Damon's character, they ha- they build up like, oh, he's a chip on his shoulder. Apparently his dad's like a famous you know criminal. Um, and that's kind of the, his excuse for joining is that he wants to prove himself. But I like that they don't have this huge – they don't make a huge deal about it after that point. It's more just like, okay, we need to explain this guy yeah. and why he's nervous and why he's he's got this chip on his shoulder. Um, I, I feel like this could be – and maybe I'm just thinking about how some of this stuff pays off in later movies. I feel like this could have easily had some weird third act twist involving his dad. Sure, sure. And they did do that, which is smart. <laughs> um, so I yeah, definitely I, – I agree with you. W- what do we think is the difference between a movie that fails from not having more backstory and buildup for our characters and a movie that succeeds in it? You know what I'm saying? Because I, cause I, can, I think you're absolutely right in this movie that it doesn't bog us down with like everybody's life story. But I feel like we've also seen a lot of movies where we go, I don't know any of these people. I don't care about any of these people. Why do I care that they succeed in this? What do we think like is the difference between those cases? I feel like it's performances combined yeah. with the fact that the movie very early on very clearly is like, don't worry about it. They're going right. to just be some silly guys being being criminals, and we're going to focus on this heist. Like, yeah. the, the movie just gets any other, like, concepts of what might be going on out of the way. It's just like, we're focused on planning and pulling off this heist. And the characters are going to be fun enough to be endearing, and we're not going to worry anymore about, like, you know, whether or not you are invested in them because 
they're they're plucky enough and they're fun enough. Yeah. And the heist is so like, I like I think you know if you have somebody, I mean, kind of at the beginning of the movie, basically where they're like, oh yeah, we've got this vault that services three of the biggest casinos in Las Vegas, and it's super high tech and impossible to get into, and we're going to break into it. I mean, it literally is the uh, the concept of like the. Um, whatever the steps are in the prestige. <laughs> oh yeah. The Christopher the, Nolan film, the prestige, the something, the turn and the prestige, yes. the pledge, it's the pledge. The pledge. Yeah. yeah. It, it's the pledge. It's like, we're going to break into this vault. And then immediately you're like, Oh, Oh, how are you going to do that? Is are am I going to, am I going to buy this? Am I going to be interested in this? Like, are you going to actually do this in a way that's believable? And like, makes me feel like I'm, you know, that you're, you're paying this off well. And that I'm not going to understand how you did it before I actually see the finale. Uh, I think immediately the movie grips you with that. Uh, and so it takes that and then you kind of get to know the characters a little bit just from their interactions and they're fun enough that you get to know them and like them. And then you're just kind of off to the races because the movie really grabbed you the moment it was like, the point of this movie is big vault. Yeah. Impossible to break into. We're going to steal it. Right. Yeah. I think particularly in terms of like genre fiction, which I, I would kind of put this in that, in that, kind of category I, I think it's it's just the question of is the movie more plot driven or, or character driven sure and i think all of these movies are lean heavily on plot driven mm-hmm. which is completely fine it's a very valid you know way to go um and i i think the reason this works over other stuff that seems to be more plot driven as well and i'm thinking of the vast majority of the james bond movies mm. um bond doesn't have significant character building moments in most of those mm. um it's mostly just he goes on a spy adventure um and the reason why this works as opposed to a lot of the bond movies is it's not wasting your time it's not yeah. like we're we're not gonna add these these you know faux scenes of character building or, or wasting your time when when that's not really what it's about yeah and i i think it all comes down to we're, we're just not wasting your time like if you're gonna be very plot driven like Obviously, you want to have your characters be interesting and endearing, yeah. Tyler, to your point. But you need to, to have it be very tight. Right. Um, whereas if you're being more character-driven and it's more like a character study or what have you, you, you can take take more more time with that because that's really more of like slice of life mm-hmm. as opposed to they got to do the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think it's when you're watching a movie where the goal is we're trying to entertain you with the events, then what matters more is that these characters are fun to watch. Right. Uh, what matters more that I'm in, like endeared to them and entertained by them than that. I am fully unaware of all of their motivations. And there's still like, th- th- this movie doesn't have characters that are just like making random decisions that don't make any sense. But because the personas are so strong, like this is a movie that requires personas rather than character. Sure. As opposed to something like, I, I, I don't know. A <laughs> uh, 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 Green Mile, um, <laughs> which is a movie I quite like, but that yeah. you know, in, in that movie, th- those are movies. Really, I need to know who these people are and why they're doing the things that they're doing. And Green Mile like, is also three hours. <laughs> it is, um, and this movie is much more about like just have, having a good time, and, and you also don't really need to build up much more of a motivation other than everybody gets something like 80 million dollars or something like right we all of course we all know why they want that <laughs> yeah we're 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 clear for takeoff there yeah 
No, I, I completely agree. Yeah, this this movie is just like I feel like in terms of just genre fiction in general, I feel like this movie should be just taught <laughs> in terms of like <laughs> screenwriting for genre fiction. Like this is like if if you don't want to put in the legwork to have like full character arcs and uh, you know the the more complicated stuff, if you want to just have like a very streamlined, yeah. fun, accessible movie, um, this is like this should be used. As a guide. And it has a couple of screenwriters, to my understanding, like two or three, I think. Um, let's see. I'm not seeing any on Rotten Tomatoes because Rotten Tomatoes is useless. Let me look Hard. up. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that Soderbergh, or I don't believe Soderbergh wrote it. He didn't write it exclusively, certainly. Uh, it looks like it's Ted Griffin. Oh, just one. Okay. Hold on. Let me... Uh, yeah, Ted Griffin. Stories by at least a couple people. But who knows if that's just credits from the first, the original oh, 60 film. Sure, sure. Based on characters by... Right. Oh, no, it looks like it is... One of the credits appears to be from somebody who worked on the 60 film, and then the other one's not. So, oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. I think the script works because it, it doesn't it doesn't try to like overcomplicate things. It's like we know what we're here to do. Let's do it. Let's have fun, and then right. <laughs> we'll we'll send y'all home in two hours. Like if if most of the the non like really really high level Bond movies felt like this, oh sure, <laughs> like, I'm sure it would have made getting through those movies a lot easier for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have a whole lot, lot more to say about it. It's just it, it, Britain. To your point, it's just one of those those movies. Whenever we talk about a movie that's just like it did its job really, really well. There's yeah. only so much you can say about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it works. Good job, guys. Um, I I would have to look back because I wonder. Heist movies are something that I don't think have ever had a a moment the way that like westerns did or the superhero movies are having now, where there's a clear like. Oh, or, or like how Knocked Up spawned a ton of like, you know, kind of gross R-rated slacker comedies. Um, but I think now, heist movies have always happened. Like, they've been around for a long time, and they're still around. But it's interesting that this movie didn't spawn like a wave of knockoffs. Um, mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. And maybe it's just because they were like, well, we... We already did it. <laughs> yeah, I think and also, it's, like, you know, heist movies never really leave. I think it's just kind of... It's not really a genre unto itself. Like, it, it, sure. it's almost a, a plot description uh, yeah. more than, than anything. Um, and so I feel like the scope is much smaller than, like, oh, or, you know, just a Western or a, a superhero right. movie. And I think that's why a lot of those then take the trappings of a heist movie... And stick it in somewhere else because it's like, oh, we want yeah. this to be about the heist, but we're we're doing it in a different context that we can add our own spin onto it. Um, right. Or there's like, a, yeah, it's, it's a heist scene. It's a heist movie within a superhero movie within an action movie. Yeah. You know, the heist at the beginning of Dark Knight, something like that. Right. Um, yeah, good stuff. I am or the heist at the beginning of Batman and Robin. There you go. <laughs> I am currently distracted by, and I have been distracted by uh, searching 
for both heist movies and train movies and train heist movies. Uh, and I have, I feel like I've got a lot of new movies that I need to be, I need to be watching. <laughs> Um, Look, I, I know I know Schwarzenegger and Stallone did that Prison Break movie a few years ago that apparently is not very good. I want Schwarzenegger to do a heist movie. I want Schwarzenegger and Stallone specifically to do a heist movie. <laughs> That's the fourth Expendables movie right there. <laughs> yes, hello. I'm the accountant for the hotel. I'm here to check the money. <laughs> that seems good to me. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, hey, how's it going? I'm room service. I'm here to bring you your frittata. Sir, sir, we can't understand either As of you. Fatata, you want a fatata, You put peppers in it and made it with fatata. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger comes up to the clerk and he's like, I just want to have how does it? And the clerk's like, no, sorry, sir, I can't. And then Stallone's like, waves him off like, oh, no, no, I got this, I got this. Oh, you just got him. It's like, no. Like, sir. And then, um. Because Mark Wahlberg is not in any of these movies, he just runs and he's like, "Are you, are you, are you making fun of my friend? My friend, he has an accent, okay? An accent. I have an accent. You have an accent. Get out of here." And the hotel clerk, who I'm assuming will be played by Kumail Nanjiani, is just like, "I don't understand what is happening here." Also, the Swedish stuff is is there just to. Try to all right. So, so who are all the personalities? All right, we're we're breaking this down. We're, we're extending the podcast. So, so we got Schwarzenegger, Stallone. I want Mark Wahlberg in there. I feel like Tom Cruise needs to be the bad guy here. Okay. Okay. He's the Andy Garcia. Sure. He he runs the big hotel. The Swedish chef. The big is hotel. The, the big hotel. On a cruise boat. Oh, there you go. That way Tom Cruise can't run after them. <laughs> but he will wakeboard. Sure. <laughs> you understand. I mean, I, I, if you told me Tom Cruise could run on water, I would believe you. And J.K. Simmons is the captain of the cruise yes, boat. correct. With... Who does also have, like, like an M16. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got Mega Swift for Tata. Herders dirty shrimp it in the fatada to make the shrimpy shrimpy. Bruce Willis is also there. Bruce Willis, okay, Bruce Willis is the MC for the 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 the, the entertainment like the vaudeville style show they have every night that Arnold and Mark and Stallone end up having to like disguise themselves as being a part of it. We've the uh, hello uh, uh Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. <laughs> hold on, hold hold the phone right there. Are you both saying you're better than me? <laughs> <laughs> so, I'd like to I'd like to add a twist to this. Um, if I can insert who our actual main character will be, it is George Clooney playing Danny Ocean's again. Danny Ocean again, and the movie is called Ocean's Ocean Eleven. <laughs> 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 yeah Casey um, Affleck is also there no one else no one else from the original, from the original movie yeah but it's Casey Affleck from Manchester by the Sea he's like I gotta get way out to sea now guys guys Casey Affleck, Manchester in the Sea Manchester in the Sea spoilers for Manchester by the Sea he's like I had another kid burned him up too I don't know what I'm doing wrong <laughs> so now I'm just going out to the ocean where there's no fire no fire out here and then the boat catches on fire. 
And, that's, and part of the, doing, like, that's part of the heist. Swedish chef is doing Cherry's Jubilee, and he, like, lights it. <laughs> and Casey Affleck's like, oh, really? Oh, no, I hate this. Oh. <laughs> then the cherries end of, <laughs> and putting in the Jubilee, the boom! <laughs> 3D! And then we can have Joe Pesci there. That way yeah. we can advertise, like, oh, Joe Pesci, gangster movie, uh. But every time we cut to him, he's just taking a nap. <laughs> no, Joe Pesci and Mark Wahlberg it, go, are you really doing this? Are you doing this thing? Are you doing it, this thing? I'm not doing that thing. Just back and forth for 20 minutes. At, at no point is Joe Pesci seen awake on screen. <laughs> yeah. But he constantly is in a new, like, in any time they're planning the heist, they're in a new location. And he's sleeping in a seat or on a bed. <laughs> he's just sleeping somewhere. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Um. Is Snowpiercer a train heist movie? I don't know if it is, but it, I think it's also... Because, like, you know, gr- train robberies, like, Western train robberies, I get... You know, yeah. Sure, that's... I get I get how that is, I guess, technically a heist. But I think that there's a, there's a different angle to train robberies when you're talking about, like, Westerns. Sure. Where it's not really played the same way as a heist. And usually it's not, like, the only thing happening in the movie. Sometimes it is, but usually it's not. Yeah. And so I'm like, I want, I want a movie that is like a through and through heist movie, but it's on a train. And I don't know that we've ever gotten that. Uh, I don't know who, I don't know if we have either. The, the episode of Breaking Bad where they steal <laughs> from the train. It's not. It's not quite. <laughs> Back to the Future Part Three. <laughs> They steal a train? I suppose. But well, I mean, in uh, in Snowpiercer, it's not really it's not really Chris Evans and his merry band of, of uh, miscreants uh, stealing the train. It's really the train stealing them. That's true. That's true. That's a very uh, rose-colored view of you have of that film. <laughs> this merry band of miscreants. <laughs> you and Brimner running around without a hand, without an arm. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, cut, cut to his arm being eviscerated out in the cold. Oh my god, I love I need a, so I need a, a Snowpiercer musical that is like, it has the same tone as like Aladdin. I guess well, okay, for. fingers crossed, because that, that, that TV show is going on, mm-hmm. hopefully they last long enough for them to have a, an obligatory musical episode. <laughs> you ain't never seen a train like this. Can your train kill people? Does your... T- does your train does your train exhibit classism? <laughs> Can your train do this? It's a metaphor. Somewhere along the yeah, somewhere along the way this this show just transitions into a full CW affair and yeah. we're just off to the races. I can abuse the poor. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying that if they had said that the Snowpiercer show was by CW that I would want to watch it more. <laughs> that, <laughs> but this is like a hot young Snowpiercer. <laughs> I want I want Mark Guggenheim to make <laughs> the CW Snowpiercer show <laughs> because and, and no, see, I think you have a good point because like, what, what who is making the current one? Is that a what is that TNT or is that TNT? Is it TNT? Yeah. And and TNT that feels like okay they're kind of trying to make, take this as like a serious dramatic thing, yeah. um, which makes me feel like I have not attempted to watch it. I feel like it's been not well received. Although the cast is 
stacked, and I yeah, that is the only thing that makes me want to watch it. But the movie's too good. The movie's There's no too point. Good. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, that like the that makes me want, uh, or f- makes me feel like they are probably going to like kind of get the idea, but also screw it up. Where the CW, <laughs> Mark Guggenheim with the CW, I know it's just all of that stuff is just going over his head. All, all they're not going to get any of that, and it's going to be because then I can just enjoy the insanity, and I'm not like, oh, you're so close. I'm like, okay. I, yeah. Look, look, they'll they'll get five episodes in. They'll see the ratings are dropping. And they're like, all right, well, what if we bring in the DC shows? Like, what if we just cross over it? Guys, guys, we need witches. There's witches I need, now. Stephen Amell can just can just like grapple in with with an arrow, right? Like he can just it, it'll be fine. Guys, people are smiling too much. We need Stephen Amell to come in here <laughs> and, and grasp I, uh, it. Up. I I really love the idea because I think Snowpiercer was originally like a French comic uh, mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. Bong Joon Ho kind of just was like mm, I like the basic premise of this, and I'm throwing the rest out. Right. Um, <laughs> I I really like the idea of like those oh Transformers and Batman or Predator and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles what like those kind of comic crossovers but it's it's like Green Arrow or uh, Supergirl crossing over with the Train Snowpiercer <laughs> <laughs> falling into an alternate reality oh no we have to get to the front of the train to to get back and stop a I don't know Deathstroke probably. <laughs> Probably him or Reverse Flash, Reverse I think, is Flash. also the one who they're always using. Reverse Flash is he's he's driving the train by right. like he's powering the train with his his feet, uh, and that's, <laughs> that's what's happening here. And I don't think I I need to I need you to understand it's not like a treadmill. It's like he is he is like a the, like Santa's reindeer on the front of the train. <laughs> He's no, 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 the the, no. The twist is they're trying to move to the front of the train. The twist is he's actually been behind the train the whole time. Pushing it. Pushing it. <laughs> so they, this is how we get this to go six seasons is that they spend three That's seasons what I'm saying. to the front. Like, we got to go back, guys. <laughs> oh, man, all the, everybody respawned. Okay. <laughs> Stupid blood moon. Let's go. Dang it, we got to the front of the train. Now all the rich people spawn flipped on us. Now they're just going to stab us in the back. (laughs) Okay, let's go. (laughs) We need a real Legends of Tomorrow to help us do this. Guys, I don't see why we can't make TV shows. I don't see why we haven't been put in charge of this. In conclusion, I give Ocean's Eleven an A. I think it's pretty good. I am also giving it an A. Um, I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna go with a B, oh. because this is a movie that I have a lot of respect for. I didn't have any affection for it. It was just like, oh yeah, cool, you're doing all this really well. This is just not the kind of movie that I uh, yeah, resonate sure. with. R- reminds me of of some of the the Bond movies that Tyler and I liked quite a bit, and mm. you you were just like, it's fine, no. yeah. Except that, like, I definitely. Like recognize what this movie does well. It's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, cool. I've seen it. <laughs> I'm set. This is also better than every single Bond movie, <laughs> including uh, Casino Royale and Skyfall. Oh. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm the Bond fan. I'm I am the one with the responsibility of saying that. <laughs> <laughs> 
so this actually segues nicely into my recommendations for this week. I have one and a half. So before before we started recording, I was actually talking to my roommate and told him that we had been we had started the Oceans movies. And he was really excited because he, he, he really likes them. And I was telling him, you know, I'm not really a big heist movie fan. And he said, that's interesting. And we we're talking about it. And he said, yeah, I'm still – I don't really know your movie taste. I'm still kind of confused by, like, what exactly your, your, your taste is. I said, you know, it, I don't – I watch so many types of movies. I don't know if there's a type of content that I respond to so much as, like, a vibe. Um, and so then I – to demonstrate this to him as an example, I explained to him how I recently watched First Cow. Um, yeah. which is very much a Britain movie. Uh, I'm not going to – Tyler recommended it already, so there's not a whole lot for me to add, just that I thought it was beautiful, uh, really well shot. The music is marvelous. All the performances are great. Toby Jones, Orion Lee is super good, John uh, Magaro. Um, I just loved it. It's so gentle and moving, and I just think it did everything super, super well. The dialogue felt very chosen. Uh, I just really, really loved it, and – I hope to see it uh, do really well now that we're into, like, award season and stuff. Golden Globes didn't recognize it, but hey, whatever. Um, <laughs> I I really like First Cow a lot, but uh, my recommendation recommendation is a movie from 1952. It is a Western called High Noon. This is a, a – I'm sure people have heard of it. It's, you know, this big classic, much-beloved movie directed by Fred Zinneman uh, starring Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly – uh, Lloyd Bridges, Jeff Bridges' dad is in it, and Lon Chaney has a really lovely scene. Um, it is basically the story of Gary Cooper is the marshal of this small town who has just gotten married to Grace Kelly. And despite a 30-year age difference that we're all just going <laughs> to accept and move on uh, from, and right, like literally right after they get married, word comes that this dangerous criminal Gary Cooper put away however many years ago uh, has been released and he's coming back to get his revenge. And everyone's like, Gary Cooper, get out of town. Your wife is a Quaker. You've married into this life. You gotta, you gotta get out of here. All the getting's good. And he's like, no, it's right. I have to stay and I have to, I have to protect the town and I have to, I have, it was, it is because of me, this is happening. And it's kind of this like one man against evil story. As you start to realize like nobody has his back on this, mm -hmm. that he is, he is going to be the lone defender and it's very powerful in that way. It's it's very exciting. It's 85 minutes. Uh, just get in, get washed, get out. And the this is a movie that if we were a podcast that found random movies to review on unassociated holidays, which we're not, <laughs> I would want us to do this movie because I think that there's a lot to talk about. I think it, there's there's a lot to really crack into. So just bullet list, it was made, it was written as a response to McCarthyism mm. and specifically certain figures in Hollywood who were uh, kowtowing to McCarthy or in some ways supporting McCarthy in his, his communism witch right. hunt. Um, two, it is supposedly uh, takes place in real time. Um, I don't know how effectively it, like how well it lines up in being in real time because I didn't really pay attention. And number three, both of those things I feel you can let go of and just watch the movie. Um, when I, because I've seen this movie before, and the last time I watched it, the music really distracted me because the the theme song repeats so much. It's like a late stage John Williams score, sure. where you're like, oh, 
oh, we're hearing that again, huh? <laughs> we're just going to do that for the movie. But this time around, knowing that was the case, I was able to put it aside very easily. And when you look at it with the idea of it being a response to McCarthyism and you try to follow, you try to keep track of the real time thing, I think it all works really effectively, but also just works as a story as a Western. Gary Cooper's great. He won an Oscar for it. Um, but all the McCarthyism stuff is was how it affected the Oscars that year. There's all these theories about that. Like, it's a really fascinating story beyond the movie. And I think the movie is just a really, really strong western on its own uh that i just really really responded to so and it's on streaming on amazon prime for free 85 minutes high noon (gasps) alex do you have anything uh sure uh so friend of the podcast cecilia and i tried watching a few different movies uh this weekend uh some were successes some were not uh uh, what's what's the Denzel Rami Malek the, the little things uh, the, little, the little things we got about 45 minutes in and realized it was boring and we moved on with our lives uh, then we watched Possessor um, which is directed by David Cronenberg's son Brandon Cronenberg oh um, it's from 2020 um, it's just this really weird sci-fi premise about uh, this agency that um, has this technology to allow someone to possess another human um, for various purposes, like destroying companies, killing off people in important positions, that type of thing. And it's just very weird, pretty bloody. Um, I enjoyed it uh, pretty well, um, although my real recommendation, that's not it. Uh, it's uh, Kajillionaire. Oh. Um, directed by Miranda July. Okay. From last year. Um, I have not seen any of her other work, but uh, Cecilia kind of prepped me by saying that she's very quirky. Mm. Uh, she has interesting takes on things. Um, and this is kind of a... It's hard to say what exactly Kajillionaire is. Um, I, I guess it's a coming-of-age story. Let's go <laughs> with that. But basically, the, the premise is there's the these two con artists that um, have a daughter who's like in her mid twenties, I think. Um, and basically they have next to no money. They live in like this, this old business office that should be like, should have been destroyed by now. And they, they scrape by, by stealing stuff. Um, and then they run into this, this other person played by, uh, Gina Rodriguez from, Mm. uh, what's the show on CW? Uh, Jane, the Virgin. Yes. Jane, the Virgin. Um, and just hijinks ensue. Um, Richard Jenkins is in it. He's the, he's the father, um, and he's everyone's really good in the movie. Um, yeah, Evan Rachel Richard... Wood is the lead, right? Yes, yeah, she's and awesome. unrecognizable. <laughs> um, I went and looked at, at pictures of her uh, at like Hollywood premieres and stuff. I'm like, yep, they completely changed her look for this. <laughs> um, it seems to be something where I'm just looking at the Rotten Tomatoes scores. It's it seems to be one of those things where. It's an independent, quirky thing, so uh, your normal, average moviegoer is not into it. Um, so it, it does appear to be somewhat of a taste thing, if you're going to enjoy this or not. But um, I don't know. I really got into it, and I, I thought it was surprisingly accessible. Uh, I, I liked... I feel like the movie could have gotten a lot more political with what it what it was trying to do, and it seemed to just be like, no, no, these are... It's just like the the trappings of just this this 
character piece. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was quirky. It was fun. Um, and everyone was good in it. So, Kajillionaire. I didn't know or had forgotten that Richard Jenkins is in that, so I definitely need to watch it because I love him. It did take me a couple of minutes where I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's him. Nice. <laughs> it doesn't quite look like him. I think it's him. And then he started speaking, and I went, oh, okay. Okay, um, we're good. <laughs> real quickly, I want to say we were talking about Snowpiercer. You mentioned Jane the Virgin. CW, Train the Virgin. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Tyler. <laughs> um, I was going to uh, – I have a – That's the spinoff of Batwoman. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> um, I have a surprise recommendation because I was saying I was not going to do one beforehand before we started recording. And then early on the podcast I realized I do have one I can I can pull from the old memory banks. Um, a movie I want to recommend is a Netflix movie also by Steven Soderbergh called High Flying Bird. Uh, oh, that I yeah. watched quite a while. It came out in 2018. Um, and I think I watched it not long after it came out. But uh, it's a pretty interesting movie about basically like rookie NBA basketball players negotiating contracts and um, various people who uh, do not really have their best interest in mind trying to manipulate them one way or not the other. And like the Players Association agents trying to do one thing and the owners of the teams trying to do another thing. Um, lots of just like political inter fighting between these these various organizations um very low-key movie it was all shot entirely on iphone 8s um as as soderbergh does uh but the cast is is great uh it's the the main reason i think i got interested in it is because it has kyle mclaughlin playing a more kind of villainous role um and i i love me some kyle mclaughlin i he's like one of my favorite actors probably just because of twin peaks um but it also has. Let me make sure I don't miss people. I thought I had this pulled up, and I don't. I'm sad. Oh, it's 2019. Sorry, not 2018. 2019 feels like two years ago, or 2018 <laughs> feels like two years ago. It's fine. Um, but it's got uh, Zazie Beats also oh, as, wow. as well, who I think I said was in that Bullet Train movie, um, <laughs> and. Um, uh, other people um i think andre holland andre holland is the lead yeah. yes uh caleb mclaughlin who's a stranger things kid oh um, yeah and uh there was one other person there one of the basketball players is uh oh melvin Gregg is his name and he mm-hmm. is one of the guys from um the second season of american vandal uh oh, okay. in that as well and so it's a it's a, a a cool movie, and I think it's pretty short. Uh, let me double check that before I promise that. Yeah, it's ninety one minutes, so it's oh nice, uh, yeah. nice, nice and quick. Just kind of a cool premise. Uh, fun to see what a, a seasoned, talented director can do with nothing but shooting on iPhone eights. Um, great performances, yeah. uh, cool premise. So yeah, a little, That's awesome. little recommendation to tie us in there. He um. I, he, he and Ang Lee are both at this age of their career where every movie they make is just like them experimenting yeah. with stuff. And I feel like S- Soderbergh is doing much more like granular, like smaller kind of experimentation, and Ang Lee is experimenting with, 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 with much bigger things. Mm-hmm. Having not seen a lot of either of these movies, I can't say who is more successful at them, but I think it's interesting that they're both doing that on, on different scales. Yeah. 
<laughs> Alex is making faces. <laughs> so what you're saying is Soderbergh needs to to uh, direct Gemini Man Part Two, <laughs> and uh, Ang Lee needs to do Unsane to Unsanest. <laughs> um, I like Unsane. I want to watch it. I like that Claire Foy a lot. But it's good. But you know me, I. I don't know how to use my TV remote. <laughs> I just have to wait around for someone to come and start, start playing it for me. Yeah, yelling at your roommate to put something on the TV. Oh. I was going to say, Tyler, do you, have, do you have to do that every week? Do you have to go set up the, the, the movie for Britain to watch? <laughs> well, okay. not, ever, since, uh, ever since COVID times, I've had to... Uh, like connect my phone to his uh, TV right. using like one of those <laughs> remote apps, and it's it's a whole process. I have to stand outside the window and. Uh, I thought you were going to say you you you, pay, you you paid for like airmail services, so it just drops a care package with a TV that's already got <laughs> that's like its plenty. own power supply hooked up. So <laughs> it's, it just it, it's already playing the movie when it just what, lands on Britain's house. What's the what's the name of the thing from The Dark Knight when when he's got the like. Skyhook, skyhook, yeah. I, I skyhook in TVs that, that are and they're already all playing, playing like French movies from the sixties. <laughs> <gasps> Beautiful. Brit, little known fact: all of Britain's recommendations are just the only things that he was able to watch that week because a TV oh, yeah. was dropped in through the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Whatever was playing at Best Buy. Uh, <laughs> I, I go to a very cultured Best Buy. It's an artisanal. <laughs> locally sourced best buy um oh boy man talking to watching stuff next week you'll be watching oceans 12 huh gang correct oh boy i'm excited and what what's that what's that looming what's that looming on the horizon in, in the distance could it, could it be on the edge of the ocean no time to die <laughs> oh oh sweetie if no only. If only. <laughs> no no it's never no, no time to die is the uh is the lupus of this podcast's house? It's never lupus. It's never no time to die. Look, a, l- a little, a little inside inside our, our personal lives. Um, so, Britain from from my birthday last year got me this very wonderful custom no time to die poster, and it's just I don't know if it's just been personal anxiety because I'm never going to see no time to die. Maybe it's because my lease ended and I had to move apartments, but I just never had the chance to put it in a nice frame and hang it up. <laughs> I finally p- ripped the Band-Aid off, and I did it last week, and I was so proud of myself. And then I went, this is the closest I'm getting to ever seeing this movie. Do you ever stand in front of it and just like move your head back and forth really fast to make it look like it's moving? <laughs> it does bear mentioning that it, it is a very nice poster, but Alex mm-hmm. sent us a picture of it, and it, it does have the release date of November 2020 <laughs> on it. So, Does it say 2020 or does it just say November 12th? I, it may, maybe it just says November 12th, but that was... We can still swing this, maybe guys! Maybe <laughs> it will get delayed to exactly that date this year, so Aww. maybe it'll work out. <laughs> Watch November 12th be like a Tuesday probably is but you it's know due what? For, it's like october now right yes yes it's that's my birth month so i can use my my birthday poll okay. november 12th 2021 is a friday how does that work we out? can swing this guys what was november 12th a, last year was it a leap year last year maybe does that does that affect things i don't think it would no because it's because that would be after hmm. the leap day what how does that Guys, work? We, we, all right 
We I'll, need to I'll call back calendar. out the calendar. Let's get Calendar Man in here. <laughs> calendar Man. Played by, I don't know, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> November 12th last year was a Thursday. So maybe Weird. it was like yeah, like midnight showings or, you know, advanced screenings or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> midnight or does the poster say November 21st? Is it maybe that? Maybe so. Midnight showings on Friday. M- midnight <laughs> showings in this economy? Um, <laughs> Trenchant. Yeah. Um, there is something else living on the horizon. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll get there. It, yeah. You, you'll know. You'll know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sny uh, with my little eye. We are, of course, talking about the New Mutants. Um, yeah. Which, looking Woo! at the calendar, I think we might actually have to talk about uh, after this. Look, series. I'm not we'll going to say that I'm I, I'm glad that there are no more movies that we have to go to the theater to see, but I'm glad there's no more movies we have to go to the theater to see. <laughs> oh, man. Just give me no time to die. That's the that's the one thing I wanted. <laughs> everyone, everyone out there, start wearing a mask so Alex can go see No Time to Die. Because at this point, that's what it's going to take. Look, I want everyone to go to their nearest hospital, harass all the staff for a vaccine, and say, Alex needs to see James I thought, Bond! I say, go to your nearest hospital, harass all the staff if they know where to get a copy of No Time to Die. <laughs> yeah, well, No Time to Die is being rolled out to, in, in a three-step plan. It's starting with emergence with like uh, essential workers and, and people over 65. See, you say this, but also... <laughs> They are sending like nurses to the Super Bowl. I don't know if y'all heard about this. Like that's the, no, I didn't like, know that. Vaccinated either, uh, to be nurses or as like a reward for being nurses. As a reward for being nurses, <laughs> like they're sending hospital okay. workers to the Super Bowl. So I'm just saying, uh, yeah. shipping out No Time to Die so that hospitals can get some relief with their their good friend James Bond. I mean, it's not that's that true. out of the question. That's true. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a nice way to avoid giving them. Better working hours and a living wage. Um, <laughs> well, now, now I've got to, I've got to put all my manpower and figure out how to fake a medical license so I can see this movie. <laughs> no time to die. More like no time to live. I'm a nurse for heaven's sake. Um. <laughs> anyway, uh, we did a podcast, guys. We did it. Correct. Um, let's record the next one, huh? That was a good rehearsal. <laughs> Tyler, where where can they find you, more more of this glorious glorious podcast? You can find us at uh, herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCT Sequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, just all sorts of all sorts of places. You sure can. I, I feel like I've I've been getting really lenient with my movie grades as of late. I've given a lot of A's recently. I've been I've, and I've been enjoying and maybe that's just because we're watching much. really good. Maybe that's just because we're watching really good movies. But like, I've been embracing happiness a little. I don't know. I've been choosing a little too much joy. <laughs> but also, yes, I think we've been on a good streak of, of films. Don't worry, Alex. New Mutants is coming up. Look, the point I was making was that I needed Wonder Woman 1984. I needed that in my veins to remember what a bad movie looked like. Sure. Uh, I've been Alex. I've been Tyler. Hey, I've been Britain, and you're having a great night.